Welcome to the Feral Minds Podcast. You are right where you need to be, and we are glad you're here. Come seek with us as we laugh at what we have known and find direction from what our curiosities demand we learn. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to the first Feral Friday Forum. We've uh, invited some of our closest friends, fans, relatives, associates, people from the parking lot to uh, come in now and uh, watch us put together a, a recap show, maybe a, a supplemental. I think it's an introductory show. You can't recap what you haven't heard. Well, this is the first time we're doing this format, but we are recapping a little bit of what we got out there on the airwaves already. Well, we're going to recap to try to spark some conversation with our friends in the room. And if you do that meditation open again, like we're all waiting for you to give birth to another dimension. I've watched them. Their eyes were like, what's he going to do? Is something coming out of his head? Something coming out of those shoes? What was, what was going to happen? You never quite know. I, I honestly, I, I, when we're getting ready for one of the shows, often we'll think, I will roll over my head the all right, all right, all right, and the next two sentences after that, and I will prep that and prep that, and multiple times, if you listen close to any of our episodes, you'll probably notice where right after I say the first sentence, the ball gets dropped. <laughs> it's a level of detail that um, I don't think anybody's really entertained by, to be honest with you. All right, so we're three episodes in. We've done an episode on fear. We did an episode on hold a hole, which hold a hole is kind of a summary on, on finding those things that aren't serving you in life. And then we have half an episode of, of change out there. Uh, so we're going to do a little recap, and, and hopefully y'all would like to engage with us through that recap. That's part of, part of the dynamic here. Yeah, I think one of your, your earlier ideas to start podcasting was really a philosophical forum. It was the idea that that's kind of missing from our, our society right now. People are not coming together in ways they have in the past to talk about critical topics, topics that advance mankind. That's, that's left the planet. So part, part of our inspiration is to get a larger audience into a conversation that's philosophical in nature. Yeah, a large, studying purpose. A larger, safe uh, platform to exchange ideas. Like right now, I, it feels to me like it's all digital. It's a lot of the uh, everybody's a hollaback girl. They drop their comment and run, <laughs> and they don't sit around to see what somebody else says about that, or to even sharpen their idea, so to speak. If you do have a concept that you feel is powerful to you, if you don't go bounce that off other ideas if you don't go sharpen that by by practicing or saying it to people you don't get anywhere if we're if we're just exploring our own thoughts that's just a circle right? i mean we we need the inflection from and and through this podcast we need the inflection from the crowd we, we need to feel what we need to talk about next what, what have we said that's completely stupid and makes no sense we have a thought line on our show that's designed for that as well so a big part of this show is engaging an audience to, to come forward and, and have some of this conversation with us. So let's talk about our first episode, which was fear. Nope. What was our first episode? First episode was the intro. That doesn't even count, man. I think it does. The table I, of contents is not a chapter. But When has is, it ever been a chapter? That is how they, right. they well, get to know us. See, okay. uh, it's like I said, it's a bit of a supplemental episode because I, I, I dropped the ball in the intro. If you remember when we recorded the intro, we never even said our names. <laughs> the very first time it the doesn't matter got to us. we had to go it's back in the show two notes. weeks later <laughs> and say, hello, I'm Trace, this yeah. is James, <laughs> and then we ran the intro. So I, that's, that's where I think we need to start with that one. Okay. Um, I mean, first off, I'm Trace. All right. I am married. I have a, a son, 16-year-old, Maximus, and my wife, Becky. And a whole lot of the reason that I am here is because of their support, their love. Everything that we share together as a family has, has put me into a wonderful place in life where, as I mentioned before, I felt like my cup was full. In every way, shape, and form, I was abundant in health, relationship, finances, home, Anything I could think of as far as my own cup, it was filled. And so you look and wonder, what do I do next? Well, you want to help the rest. I, I think I mentioned uh, my first day of enlightenment class. I figured out pretty quick, I could care less if I get enlightened. I want everybody else on the planet to get that way. <laughs> that's the place you want to live in. You don't want to be the only one that's got everything figured out. Not to say I do, 
But when I started off on the podcast, that was where I felt like I'm in a firm foundation. And if we get everybody here and then hear what they have to say about it, it might be interesting. My name's James. I have a wife and some kids. I guess I should name them. Is that what you've told me? That's what I There's went no with. There's no way I'm, I'm, I'm matching that intro. <laughs> no way. Uh, so my name's James. Uh, I have a wife. Her name is Claire. Uh, I have three kids, a 12-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 5-year-old. And I'm not going to mention their names because I don't want it going to their head. So, so I'm here to podcast. Why am I here to podcast? That's a great question. Uh, I enjoy philosophical top, topics. I, uh, I spent a lot of time doing stuff in my life that I, I think I, I, I should have explored some more options. I think that's part of my interest in talking on the mic is to encourage people to explore their creativity. You're watching a 45-year-old man try to get creative right now. And he stifled that creativity for 20-plus years in a, in a corporate environment. So this is a great outlet for me to kind of recap and reflect. And hopefully in those reflections, help some people along the way. And that's each of us as individuals. So as we come together, what we've created is, is Feral Minds Podcast. And what, what made that exciting for us was the definition of feral. And we've touched on that a little bit in the episode, but ever since that's come about, I start noticing how powerful that is to maintain a wild behavior, a wild mindset. Because what I see is people forget to let their mind wander. What was the last time you did to let your mind wander? What did you do to let it go? Where did it go whenever it started wandering? Do you, do you accept boredom as an opportunity? When at one point in time, boredom was how you discovered yourself. Yeah, it's like a blank canvas for what you're going to go do, what you want to go accomplish. And, and right now, too often, I see we don't allow that blank canvas. We will stuff every single waking moment and potential presence or thought with a screen in front of us. Which involves the creativity of others. And so how do you ever get creative when all you're doing is consuming the creative effort of others? Yeah, when all your ideas come from the screen looking in front of you, are you controlling your mind? I believe not. I believe somebody else is taking over control of your thoughts. So then, it's strange enough, what does that look like, getting control of your thoughts? Well, that's getting them back and then getting bored. <laughs> Giving them an open field Spend to go play in. Yeah. yeah. See where they go. But I, I would challenge a lot of folks as I look around. Maybe I'm projecting the worst onto the, my, my fellow man, but I would challenge a lot of people to just sit for 30 minutes without any stimulus. They talk about that in, I think it's Buddhism, where the five thieves are your senses. Yeah. Try to avoid letting those take over and see what you got left in there. See what wanders off from that. And that, that, that's something that I feel like kind of comes from our virility. <laughs> that's where I love that feral. Like you really does have that feel of what you can do with your mind if you let it open out in the field, as opposed to keeping it caged, limited by what the, what the phone in front tells you to think about, what magical quote somebody puts on Facebook. Or, you know, we've all heard these things enough times, but I guarantee you when we're hunched over staring at our phone, we're not applying them. Yeah, and, and I, I think we all have a, a creative calling um, some of us listen, some of us, like me, ignore it for a long time. Some of us don't understand it, but it requires exploration. And, and if you are constantly consuming somebody else's creation, I don't know when you have space to discover your own creative nature. Um, and you and I have talked about this. We're, we're all creative. Right? If one man's creative, all men are creative. And there, there's so much joy that's gained from creation. And I think there's a lot of destruction that is also realized when you ignore creation. Yeah, and that's the only place it can come from, Yeah, too, is it's that, that burned down, <laughs> whatever's left over, there's nothing. Now it's time to create. Yeah. And it's, it's a dark place. It is. It can be very difficult to come from a place of creation. Let's talk about our fear episode. So yeah. that was our first episode, which... Man, we were scared to do it, which was the, the funniest part of doing an episode on where you're trying to give guidance on fear through the jittery nerves of your own fear. It went full circle, too, from that episode to this moment right now. It was almost like, well, that wasn't pressure enough. Let me try to fill a room with all of my closest friends, family, acquaintances from the parking yeah, it's, lot. This is not multi-level marketing. We're not going to make you sell Tupperware at a later time. 
No, we did truly, I feel that I love the uh, Brent Venables might have made the original quote. I don't know. This is where I heard it from, though. But pressure is a privilege. And you've got to put yourself in that pressure situation and then see what comes out of it. It's easy whenever you're an athlete or somebody out on the field. But when you get to this point, as grown adults, too often we've figured out how to avoid pressure, how to stop putting it on ourselves. And we forget what that feels like. We forget how much elation can come from overcoming those obstacles. And that's what is a good place for fear, to touch on what we got going with that episode. It, it can either be a guidepost of exactly what you need to dive into, or it can be that identifier that shows you what you need to get away from. It's uh, you, you, you really need to have an acquaintance with fear because fear is looking out for you. Or, or is it? it? It depends. I think when we blanketly apply fear as something to always be avoided, we miss out on incredible opportunities in life. Because on the other side of some of these fears, there's some great growth opportunity that, that you're ignoring because the fears become the barrier to whatever progress or growth you may have. And, and those fears we can ignore for a long time in our life until the day we don't. And, and those days that we don't are powerful and they can change the trajectory of our life. And we wonder once we make those changes or once we walk past that fear, what kept us so long from taking a look at these things that were sometimes just boogeymen in our head. Some things that, that had no probability to have any outcome on us, but we would allow them to steal our presence. And then others, others are an incredible opportunity just screaming at us. But we interpret that new opportunity or that, that fear of the unknown, we, we, we somehow interpret that as something we need to hide from. So do you, do you have to have the awareness to just split the hair in between where the fear is? I, I think you, at times with your fears, you are not enough. You are not because you, you're in this vessel. You're driving it. You can't see the outside of it. There's not enough just for you to tackle your fears. You have to get another human involved. Now, maybe there's some humans that just fly fearless. I mean, we've seen some of those people around us. But for me, uh, fears specifically around career changes, have all, they've always had an inflection point for me. And anytime I had a significant change, whether it was leaving the cat network or, or buying my first commercial property, I, w- I was always scared until I had an opportunity to talk through that fear. And, and maybe it wasn't a declaration of, hey, can you come talk to me about my fear? It was just a conversation that eventually removed the weight of the fear that allowed me to walk forward into whatever progress I needed. Man, you had said something about a great way to handle fear because what I've seen some of it happen is it's like you'll get five or six things in your head that will just keep swimming, mm. like these fear loops. If you, if you watch some of our clips, there was a wonderful clip I found that was just this duck that kept opening doors and they were locked again. They just couldn't get out of a fear loop. <laughs> And that seems to be what, what happens with these, with these thoughts that seem like such a reality to make us afraid of them. But if you would kind of write them down, I think was where, where you had talked about. Yeah, writing's always helped as well. You get them out of your head. Your head can be a, a, just this amalgamation of 10 different puzzles with five different pictures that you're trying to put together. And sometimes if you, if you write them down, you, you can start to organize these thoughts into, into forms that are not as scary. Because yeah, the, 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 the unknown running around your head, that's scary. But you, you can take some of the sting out of the unknown by bringing it out of your head, putting it on paper or, or putting it on a Word doc and straightening it out and starting to, starting to understand how these thoughts are running circles around your joy and, and keeping you from your joy. And to me, what that does is <clears throat> one of the main things that you can benefit from that on is, is putting a happy ending on. I, I allude this to on the show a little bit, but p- you made a- this up. Just the idea of therapeutic delusion is like that's a that's your original. Yeah, I, I, that's I, a beautiful I, idea. Elaborate on that. Yeah. So the, the idea there is, and this goes into a manifestation loop. The idea is there that is you have control of these thoughts, and you can decide what thoughts you want to have about an unknown future. And too often we're trying to decide what those are going to be based on a past that we didn't like or whatever. It, the point is, is that you see you have the choice in those thoughts. And once you start thinking the thoughts you want, 
that elicits the emotion, the feeling. See, that's where the magic happens. That's what we don't appreciate enough as human beings is the power of our emotions, the feelings within us. That's what then decides reality. That decides what you draw around you, what your outer reality is, is going to be influenced by the emotion that you have. So here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit here, I, I guess I don't listen to you very well, because I thought therapeutic delusion was how you changed the reflection of your past. Well, yeah. And I had a lot of value in that, because we're all walking around with some hairy memories that were really just a lesson that we needed to learn that we've created as some shame that we carry. Okay, that is easier. I was going in the future, but using therapeutic delusion for your past. Look, whether or not you were trying to help me with my future, you helped me with my past because I have memories that are, that are shameful, memories in, in the business world that didn't work out or investments that didn't work out, and, and you, don't want, you don't even want to look at them. You don't want to think about them. They're painful. So why am I going to even look at it if I don't like the way the story sounded? Your idea of therapeutic delusion is, I just changed the story. Right, it's not my had, moment of shame. It's my moment of a lesson I needed to learn. And it first starts with acceptance to even see it. And then you can but, make but, the but I got, But I've got to stop wincing from it. Like if, if it's this big, hairy thing that's coming for me at all times, I've got to change that image in my mind or I can't look at it. And that's where therapeutic delusion helped me. I mean, that, I, that, that spoke to a lot of, and if I'm redefining it, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it and make it my own. That is something we all run from. We don't, we don't allow ourselves to look back at the lesson because the lesson hurts. And so if you won't look back at what hurts, you don't get the full benefit of the entire lesson. So the therapeutic delusion is almost like a sugar coating onto your lesson so that you could swallow. So imagine, imagine I've got a, a brand new car and it, it has no tint on it. And the sun's just beating in on me and like I'm wincing all the time. And then imagine I go and get it tinted and now I can look at it. So what I'm saying is you change the memory or the tint, the reflection you have of that memory, which allows you to look at it through a lens that's not full of fear. And when you do that, now you can see the full lesson that you were supposed to learn. That's my version of your therapeutic delusion. <laughs> and that, again, is, is a beautiful way of saying it as it goes, uh, you know, applying it retroactively. It's not shameful. It's just what you needed to learn. That, that's the most powerful thing that you taught me that you didn't even know you were teaching me. It's not shameful. It's the lesson you had. It's the lesson you needed to get you where you are today. Yeah, and that's you changing your thoughts around that. Correct. And, and so that's where the whole, that's what I mean by therapeutic delusion. It's the idea that you can tell yourself whatever you want with your Correct. thoughts. That's it. And elicit your feeling there afterwards. Correct. Right there. Beautiful example from the past. Uh, one I was going to throw out on this because we kind of alluded to it on the episode and then somebody called us out for not going any further, but inadequacies in the bedroom. Yeah, and, let's talk about inadequacies in the bedroom. So Yay. first off, you've got to just put thoughts in your head that are nothing but adequacy. We mentioned on there, nobody wins afraid of losing. So if you're going to go into that bedroom and you've got nothing but fear and inadequacy thoughts rolling through your head, that's what you're going to manifest out throughout that experience. And if you haven't done that as a person engaging in that activity, I'll tell you I have. And you can go in with different mindsets. You go and you make a therapeutic erection? <laughs> That's pretty much what you're okay. up to. All right. Because I guarantee you, you can give yourself a therapeutic softy. <laughs> like, you can give yourself a delusional, this isn't going to work, if you want to swim around in the negative thoughts. But you put some positive thought. Give yeah. yourself any good reason to be excited things start about to what rise. you <laughs> Things are going to rise. That's good. That's good. It wasn't necessarily ED, but what I'm mentioning here is just the power that going into any situation with positive thought versus negative thought and what the relation or what the, what the results that you get from that are going to be. Yeah. I promise you can see negative results real quick going into a bedroom situation with a negative mindset as opposed to going in with a positive mindset. There's yeah. no other way to get through that activity than with positive mental thought. It's a, it's, it's a place I feel the manifestation you show is up. very important. Yeah, you got to show up and get vertical. And that's as it applies out to your future. 
as we say, we talk about apropos about each time we're on the mic, there's, there's a lot of fear <laughs> that I had to keep trying to therapeutic delusion myself past just coming in for Feral Friday. This is a tough endeavor every time you're jumping into un- uncharted territory, which means basically every time you're creating something new, which basically means every time you're doing art. Yep. And, and, well, in, anytime, anytime you have to learn anything new, the failure is what you have to walk through. And you have to you have to take these moments that are awkward, that feel bad, that where you think like, I brought all these people here and I'm not funny enough or I'm not saying stuff that, that is, is going to resonate with them. You have to push through all of that in order to, to get to a place where you can speak to more people in our case. Yeah. <laughs> I hope well, that there are more people involved. <laughs> I, want, I want a group of people that we gather together and see what we can accomplish as a group. Because we all know you don't get near as much done as an individual. It's, it's only ego that says, you go out and do this on your own. You know, honestly, it would be egotistical for us to just keep showing up and sitting behind a microphone just to, the, just, just to satisfy our own joy in hearing our voices. Yeah. That's, that's not what any of this was intended for. As much as you could easily see a, a situation like that with a podcast, this whole time it has been with the collective in mind. Does, does anybody in the crowd have any, any fear conversations they would care to engage in? Oh, here comes. Is this a volunteer? Oh, I'm scared now. Uh, you should be. <laughs> I wondered if this okay, was the last so, going to go down. Um, name a fear that you had that turned out well and a fear that turned out not as well. Mm. She wants real-world data here. Uh, a fear I had um, that turned out incredibly well for me when I left my corporate job, I was so heavily strung to the identity of being this leader of people. I, I'm not sure exactly when we get, when they slide us the nobility of leadership drug. I don't know when we get, in, in order to be uh, a noble man, you must lead other men. But I was on that. I took that entire bottle, that entire pill. So I had climbed to a certain place in an organization and and it involved leading people. And the idea that I could not lead people in this moment or that my leadership was a failure was horrifying to me. When I finally left that position, I was able to move on to a, a real estate role that I somewhat enjoyed. But then that bridged me to this role, which is podcasting, which is about the funnest thing I've done in a while, at least 25 plus years. So it was scary for me to leave the corporate world. And then it was kind of scary in the vacuum. And it's a little scary now, but that was a fear that I'm glad I eventually, I eventually stepped over. A fear that, that hasn't played out well for me. They're usually, I don't know that I've got a specific instance, but usually the fears that I avoid, the ones that need my attention, that I choose to ignore, those are the ones that I somehow, I know I'm allowing this thing to fester, and I know it's not going to end well, but I'm kind of hoping it'll just go away. I have a number of those fears in my life right now that I'm ignoring, and I'll even hear myself say it, and I'll still ignore it. So that's a fear. Those are the fears I'm yet to master, the ones clearly in front of me that sometimes I need to tackle that I choose not to. Trace, what do you have? The first thing that came to mind – to answer the question about how, where I learned the most about fear, I learned it in a split second on the jump on the ski slopes. There was one that I was going down, feeling good, had the skis underneath me, hit the jump without realizing how big it was going to be. But midway through, there's no time for fear. You go right into land mode. Put the skis underneath me, didn't have any problem. So based on the success of that, I thought, let me try this again. Get my son, we're watching, and I take off. Going at the same jump I've already done, but this time when I start to hit it, I have, a, I have the fear hitting the back of my mind. Right before my skis are about to leave, I say, it's too fast. And this time, coming off that jump, instead of the smooth, controlled, I don't know what's going on, I let fear take over, and I came off that thing looking like a flying, drunken squirrel. <laughs> and luckily, whenever I landed on my back, nothing broke. But... What I realized in that moment was just the absolute difference in between what my thoughts were and how I felt when those skis left the ground one time versus the other. 
And it was just a bit of a microcosm to me in what this whole manifestation fear loop can do. It yeah. played itself out real fast in the course of that jump. Yeah, if you, if you tell yourself you can't do it and you hang around that thought, it will, it will come true. There's no, there's no greater evidence of manifestation than in those fears that we tell ourselves that, that you know, I can or I can't do this. And, and those statements are, are they're, they're almost scripting your future as to whether you can or you can't. And I, I think fear in, in those moments where you just have that little wavering thought of, I can't, I can't. You can take the, you can take the train straight off the rails. Well, that, that does it right there in the jump. But what we'll do, I believe, like in life, most of the time your situation isn't going to go over in the snap of the fingers. So you have time throughout that you have to continually keep pumping that positive thought to alleviate that fear. And, and you, it's a choice. In each and every given moment with awareness, you'd be amazed at how many choices you have to overcome every single problem in your life. Nothing can be done in the past and nothing can be done in the future. It's only sitting right here in your awareness. Every single thing you want to take care of. Yeah, and you got to stop the thoughts. That, that's it. That, that's, that's the game with fear. Stop the thoughts, stop the fear. Or create new thoughts that cheer you up. and That are absent of fear. And create the joy. Come, yeah, come to the mic. Mic's still on. So everything you guys have shared thus far has made me realize it all comes back to other people. And so I'm sitting here thinking, when, especially when you're talking about fear, and I'm thinking about my own situation and, and fear, and I'm like, you know, it's like the old adage of if you couldn't fail, what would you do kind of a thing? Mm. Yes. If nobody's watching you and nobody else has a – has any investment in what you're doing, would the fear still be there? If the fear is just, like how much of the fear is manifested from your own insecurity and how much of it is because there's other people observing? You're, and you're, worry, people you're worried about your ability to perform in front of them. Correct. Yeah. And so much of a, what we fear, because if you talk about fear, I think fear is all about risk. And risk is about opportunity, in my mind. But... It can be, like I've always taught my boys, you're always going to be in a position to take risks in life. What you want to do is take calculated risk. So know what the opportunities are. Know what could go wrong. Make know sure the juice what, is worth the squeeze. <laughs> yeah. you got to think through it and think, is this worth it? So if you're standing on a bridge and your friends are going, jump, jump, and you don't know if it's two feet or 20 feet, is that a risk you want to take? Or if it's a calculated risk that you're thinking, okay, the worst thing that can happen from this situation is I fail. Big deal. If you fail, then you've learned something and you take that and you move on to the next one. So I think it's about calculated risk and not being afraid of taking risks. But we get so wrapped up into what other people think of us, how they're going to interpret it, how they see us as weak or valuable. And it gets in your head and it starts playing on all those other insecurities and it stops you from progressing. And it really wasn't ever about your own inadequacy or your own fear that you have of yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, it's, tr the, it's tricky because yeah, I think we, we learn how to be humans by modeling our behavior. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're at a young age, we're watching other people that, that we find adequate of being our models. Right. And we're watching those people and we're watching those people. And then as we become an adult, when we, we fail to stop with some of the comparison. And, and so like the modeling at a certain point becomes the comparison. And then the comparison involves the fear of not being like them. And then we start worrying about what people think about us. Mm -hmm. And it's all really, it's from an organic place because we're all learning how to be humans and we do that by watching other humans. Right. And, and then when you get a little older, that ability to, to, to push away your concerns about what other people are thinking about you is, that is a really difficult thing to do. And it's something you really got to be conscious and aware of. But you also have to realize that it isn't them. It never is. Correct. It's you. Yeah, they're not yep. thinking about you like they think yeah. you think that they are. It's the spotlight. It's the spotlight effect, right? Yeah. And so we walk around worried about 
what other people are thinking about us, but everybody else is doing the same thing. And like, nobody's paying attention exactly. to you because they're worried about themselves. And they're exactly. not thinking about you what they think, what you think they're thinking about you. They think about you what you think about you. Yeah. It's, it's only you thinking about yourself, but mm -hmm. you're bouncing it off somebody else. And right. that's a little bit of what I'm saying with the whole manifestation deal. All that you are doing is bouncing your thoughts and reality off of those around you. That is where we are all kind of our own co-creators. I agree, but you're also you're also assuming that everybody has the same goal. And you, what you're trying to do is learn and grow and have self-growth and do those kinds of things. A lot of people are doing what you said earlier. They just want to throw out their information and run. <laughs> you know what I mean? They don't stick around to better themselves or to hear another viewpoint because they don't care. It's about them just getting their two minutes to say what they want to say and move on. Yeah, it's a lot of ego involved. It, yes. it, it, it's, it takes awareness. Anonymity but equals, you know, you can say whatever you want when you don't have any fear of having to stand up for it and having to account for it. Yeah. So. It's a little bit like a, what leads to road rage. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. People that are walking and standing in lines behave way different than mm -hmm. people who are driving down the road <laughs> and stopping at stoplights in a car. Mm -hmm. You take out that personal aspect. And that's the thing that I wanted to point out here that I feel like once we get face to face that that human interaction will bring out more. That this is, mm -hmm. this is exactly what needs to be put on a microphone. Let me ask you a question about your kids and your relation to, to fear. Do you find yourself, are you giving your children the same fears that your parents gave you? Or do you think you... Are you, have you evolved that, or do you need to give your, your children the exact same fears that your, your parents gave you? You know, that's interesting, because I think you mentioned hairy things from your past earlier, and I'm in a place in my life right now where I've spent an enormous amount of time investing in trying to analyze and figure out the why mm -hmm. of things that happened in my childhood. To get to a place, and it's particularly my relationship with my mother, and the things that manifest in me as an adult that you still are that eight-year-old, 12-year-old, 15-year-old girl that got her feelings hurt by her mom or just had some kind of issue that um, has stuck with you and altered who you are as an adult and played on those insecurities and things. And so my mom now has Alzheimer's. It doesn't matter anymore. It's this weird gift so to speak um i saw her shortly before i came over here and my niece was with me and my niece was commenting on how affectionate my mom was with me and i said it's really interesting because i can get from her now with alzheimer's what i could not get from her in reality growing you know growing up so those bad feelings that I got then that I held on to and tried to analyze and figure out and wonder why, why did you do this? Why did you say that? Why did you influence me in this direction or another? And how I was going to parent my children 180 degrees the other direction. Then you in and inadvertently you create new issues in trying to do it the opposite way. Mm -hmm. So then I think I became probably too much of the other way around. I'm going to tell them every day how much I love them. Mm. I'm going to let them take risks. I'm going to do this, this, and this. And they're great kids. I'm not saying that we have any felons in the mix or we don't have any, what do you call it, recreational meth use or anything <laughs> like that going on right now. Not that there's um, anything wrong with that. Not that there's anything there's wrong with that. There's lots of lessons yes, to be learned exactly. from meth use. As long as you exactly. keep Trace away from your kids, everything will work out just fine. Oh, they, they fully well know Trace. Um, <laughs> But no, what I'm saying is, I think you, you work so hard to be something different that you inadvertently cause issues doing you that. You overcompensate in another direction. Overcompensate to the nth degree, right. yes. And so that's caused a different level of issue. And when we were talking earlier about mom guilt and the men saying, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have any guilt as a dad. I think that's by design because if we all, if both parents have that level of guilt, can you imagine how jacked up that kid would be? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We, I'm surprised we, kids make it out of childhood as it is now with the adults in their way. Do you, do you yeah. mind? Can I ask you a question about sure. your mother? Yeah. So she was hard on you yeah. growing up. Very. And now she, she has Alzheimer's and, mm -hmm. and the perspective is, is flipped. Is she, do you find her now to be the caring mother you yes. always wanted? Yes. And 
as you look at that and you try to understand that, what, what, have, you, what have you learned from that? Do you understand the that why? I wasted a hell of a lot of time worrying about things I had no control over. I think you'll find that with almost everything we worry about. Yeah. But you guys, seriously, like, I can't tell you the amount of time and tears and frustration and second-guessing and insecurity, bring you to your knees kind of teary insecurity of what the hell, what did I do to deserve this? And I'm adopted on top of that. So it just kind of brings in a different level of insecurity. And so I think the recognition is, and probably too, because I'm now in my fifties and I'm in menopause. And so it's like, you reach a point in life where you realize how much time you've wasted caring about what any number of people think about you and that you wasted that time that you could have been developing and focusing creativity and things that are an investment in yourself instead of trying to figure out what's wrong with you as a result of it. Did you reach that conclusion through the process of engaging with your mother in Alzheimer's or did that, did, yeah, where I did mean, you get I that think, awakening? I think it came through that process of, of recognizing why couldn't you have been like this then? And she doesn't have any control over that. She had control and choices to make then for certain, but I meant who she is now with Alzheimer's. She doesn't have any control over what she chooses or doesn't choose at this point. And so what I see in her is this is who she maybe was at her core. It's not typical for Alzheimer's patients to, it's not untypical for them to become more aggressive and more frustrated. And my mom has had exactly the opposite effect. And I don't want to say that that's unheard of, but it's not the norm. And so for her to have this level of affection and love, and she tells me how much she loves me. When I was a child, I remember distinctly as a young teen in the car screaming and crying going, why won't you just tell me you love me? Like, why won't you say it? I've heard it five times maybe in my life at that point. And she said, if I tell you, it loses, it loses power. Did she learn that from her mother? Probably, yeah. They were pretty stoic, farming, hardworking people. Yeah. I was like Steve Martin in The Jerk, you know? Like, I came <laughs> into this family, and it was like, hmm, I seem different than the rest of you. Um, you know, so, yeah, it was a matter of just figuring it out. Like, I would have figured it out had I not been told. Does that answer it? Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's uh, first, thank you for sharing that. Sure. that that's yeah. incredibly powerful. Um, and what I'm kind of thinking, where I've tied that in with a little bit of what we're talking with the manifestation loop, is with the happy endings, there's two different ways to do it. So in the episode, I sort of mentioned it with uh, conspiracy theories, put a happy bow on the end of that, because mm -hmm. you don't know if it's true or not. But when you're looking at your past and you do know what is true, mm -hmm. how do you put the happy ending on that? What changes that? And that's where I mean, it's your, it's your thoughts around it. That happy ending from your past is acceptance. And right. then once you it hit is. that acceptance, then you can start getting your lesson from it. And then once you get the lesson, that past that you were so afraid of isn't, isn't fearful anymore. But the irony is, who are we looking for the acceptance from? Oh, that's all inside. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for years, I was looking for it from my mom, and she wasn't capable of giving it to me. And then I looked for it from friends and boyfriends and other people in my life, bosses. It was never enough. I had to work to the next level. I had to work harder and longer hours and put in more effort. And then you get to a point, and like I said, I think age where you get tired and your life changes. I, like you, my job was my baby and then I had babies mm. and had a shift in priority and realized really quick that I wasted a lot of precious time investing in other people's dreams and investing in other people's well-being and not my own at all. But I also believe in what you're saying that it has to be about other people. It can't be about ourselves. I mean, somebody asked me recently, um, very sincerely, like, what is really the meaning of life? And I was like, whoa, that's, that's a significant question, you know, man has been trying to figure out forever, but I can only speak to me. And for me, it's to serve others. Yeah, that's we, bottom line. I mean, it, it just came like without even conscious thought. I was like, for me, it's to serve other people. Yeah, we, we had a saying, I think we mentioned on this hurt people hurt people. For sure. So what do healthy people do? Would somebody on this earth has to be healthy walking around helping people. There's we, somebody, yeah, and there's somebody on the other end of this podcast that needed to hear your story. 
that is right now striving to get somebody's love and appreciation that may never receive it. And, and I think that's part of the power of, of some of these conversations is mm -hmm. you just spoke to somebody potentially who's right now going through a hard time trying to get somebody to accept them. And, and that is part of your purpose now. Yeah. When you get on the other side of the understanding. Well, and it's weird when you become the parent and your focus is your parents, you can get really deep and dark really fast, like in trying not to repeat problems, not to re repeat things that were done to you as a child, or is this wrong or is this right? And second, guessing yourself as a parent. Yeah, I guess my, my words of wisdom, for lack of a better term, would be not to invest so much time analyzing it all. Yeah. Just accept who you are, where you are. Don't accept other people's interpretation of you and move on down the road because life is just too damn short to give this much time and effort and thought of yourself to other people to make that choice. You figured it out. Decision. I so. bet you're a good mom too. Oh, thank you. I bet you, you are. I can feel it coming thank out of you. You leak you. good mom. There's a puddle well, of good mom you. on the floor. Thank you, thank you. Well, thank you for sharing. You are welcome. That was very bold and brave of you. Does anybody else have anything on fear they would like to talk about? All right. I have a little bit different take on, on fear with my background. You when you talk about fear, fear can be very powerful motivator. You hear con it's in the, the pop culture lexicon has been forever, you know, fight or flight or like that. There, there's a third part of that, which rarely is ever discussed, especially out in just in the community. It's there's a third part, fight, flight or freeze. Mm -hmm. On that. And that is very powerful just as well. It's not motivating, but you freeze. It's stagnating. It's stagnating. And that's the what happens is you come across something, an emotional, psychological thing in your life or whatever you experience fear and you just you don't know what to do. You feel you can't do anything like that. And the really negative, bad part of that is you feel that fear for so long and it devolves into complacency. And once you get complacent with something, you're just you stay there for a you're while. You're just stuck. Yeah. I think and what I'm pops in my head because you talk about manifesting things and stuff like that. If you're in that place where you're complacent and you feel stuck and overwhelmed and all the other adjectives you can throw along with that or whatever, manifesting just seems to be the least likely of anything that can happen with that. Yeah. So it can be it can be it can be dark. It can take you to a very dark place. Well, what I'm thinking It'll is you there. it motivates in the moment. And that is where it can actually be, I believe, beneficial. Yes. In the moment, what that fear gives you, do something with it. Mm -hmm. But if it's you something have, that you've got to sit around and think over, you got to catch it. Think over and think over. It where it happens, it's probably not worth being afraid of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And many times it's not. Usually, if you can work yourself through and come through to the other side, you can look back on it. And chances are, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal. And etc like that like we find about every worry that we sit with yeah <laughs> for so long so many of our fears and anxieties we say this on the show like you, they have terrible batting averages oh yes that would not make Calahousa triple a or whatever single a ball they do not come to truth they don't happen they never yeah. live to their own height yeah, and I think it's, it's, it's interesting to think about thoughts being things. So even in this room now, everything that we sit on, we talk into, we, we look at, we stare at, they were all a thought at one point in time. And a sad tragedy is there's a lot of things that could be here that were never manifested because they, were, they became fears. Yes. And so for every thought that yields something in the physical world, there's probably four or five fears that shut down Easily. the potential. For, for who knows what kind of enhancement right. in the physical world. You've got to develop those tools to have in your toolbox for when those fears pop up. You yeah. recognize it for what it is immediately, and it's so much easier to handle in the moment at that time than just to let it get past you, and there it sits. And that seed germinates, and then you're dealing with that whole host of issues yeah. that you shouldn't have to deal with like that. And the other thing I was going to say, we were talking about raising kids and fears and stuff like that. Um, I don't remember who I heard this from, obviously someone much smarter than myself, they said something to the effect of when you're raising your kids, you let them do dangerous things, but it, you let them do it responsibly. So that way they learn. They face fears, they face barriers, but they can overcome those things. And if they fail with it, that's okay. Failure is part of life and that's how they learn and they grow. But they have to, you have to let them do those things. 
Yeah. Yeah, you got to teach resiliency. Exactly. Not avoidance, not, um, I, I mentioned Yeah, but you episode. also have to let go of your fear as a parent. You, yes. you got to let go of your fears. And that's hard because you're hardwired to a certain degree to protect them Absolutely. literally at all costs yeah. from the stupid little things to the very big things that can cause irrevocable, irrevocable harm to them. But you have to let them do things that you know there's a good chance they're going to get hurt. So a good example on that, and I didn't do it, but this is where I've often wondered with my child, why, what are we doing with fear? We're walking out. He's about two years old, going into a busy parking lot, Walmart, Target, I don't know. And he starts to shoot off into the parking lot, haphazardly not looking. Very common. Now, you're also probably not going to really have anything come from that. Now, yeah, there are terrible things that can. Somebody might be speeding through at 40 miles an hour, not see a child running through a parking lot, which is a place a lot of people would run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's not likely that that scenario is going to play out. But when I saw him take two steps out to start to get in that mode, fear kicks in in me. And now I'm pulling him back and angrily trying to teach him a lesson to don't run out. What has really happened here? Did I save him from anything? Was he going to get hit? We don't know. We don't know. Probably not. But what you have done is projected your fear onto the child. And now the child is having to deal with your issue of that moment. Mm -hmm. And that's all we, that's what I've said all along in this fear episode is that it typically, whatever that emotion is. And then when it's fear, those people elicit it around them. You are creating that, that reality around you. Yes. You are letting that emotion take over and then manifest itself out right in front of you in that moment. And it could have gone the other way. You could have easily let that, yeah. those thoughts not take you to that place. We, we talked a little bit about parental guilt. Um, I, now that I'm, I'm looking at that, I, I think there is a parental guilt of failure there. Yeah, I think you fear as a parent that you're going to fail your duty. Sure. In protecting your child, raising your child with the correct moral and ethics comes that, out of control almost. Yeah, well, it's, it's a hard thing to straddle. Like, when, when do I stop controlling their behavior and allow them to feel the world versus I'm just going to keep controlling them until I know they're right, knowing there will never be a moment where there's not an SAT to say, yeah, you're done. You're a good kid now. You got it all inside. That moment will never come. We, we then don't let it happen because we tell them in some way, shape, or form they need to improve. Now, yeah, There's I, some inadequacy. They're not good enough. I'm saying you'll never have a certified, bona fide USDA child, and we're done. No. And we don't, we don't have to give them any more guidance, and they're not going to call us for a drunken ride home, or they're not going to call us, in your case, for the 18th DUI. <laughs> It's well, only four. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> so I'm bad with yeah, math. There, there's not a checklist that when you finally get down to the final box, you go, oh, I'm done. They're fine. Yeah. Everything's going to be good. And you I'm never like, know no. when you're done. And then in reality, you're never probably done. No, you never are. Listen, well, I don't know. Is your mom done with you yet? <laughs> I mean, she probably, I mean, I know she mine probably done with me. Wait till she hears that drunken story. She'll be done with me. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else on fear? No, we're That was excellent. That. Thank you. Anybody else have anything on fear to contribute? I, I throw a little something extra on there on fear. I'd forgotten about this story, but it did help me understand fear and where it comes from. And it was from a couple of little brothers at, at Disney World. And the dad was asking the older one, like, why won't you get on the ride? Your little brother will go on. What, what, what's the deal here? He's not afraid. Why, why are you the older one? Is this, magi- is this Magic Kingdom? I don't know where it was. Uh, maybe Epcot. Who knows? Oh, okay. I mean, right, right. outside the Tower of Terror. I'm not sure what ride specifically that, that the kid was afraid of. But the older boy, you know, instead of taking the criticism of, oh, I better buck up and be his brother, my little brother, he said, no, he, he was British, dude. You see, Father, I, I'm, much, I'm much older and I'm much smarter than he is. So, so my mind thinks of all these things that could go wrong, and he doesn't have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And, then, and I, as I'm looking back on the, whatever he was, eight-year-old kid articulated fear perfectly versus his five-year-old. The five-year-old didn't have to worry about this, this thing called the brain yeah. that gets in the way of joy and confidence Ooh. and empowerment. I've got all these thoughts that are holding me back, Dad. Don't get on to me for being afraid. This shows maturity. Yeah. That's a clairvoyant eight-year-old. Yeah. yeah. What country is he running now? Yeah, that's a good one on fear. Okay, so we've hit fear. Uh, let's move on to uh, hold a hole. So the hold a hole story is about how we we chase things in the in the external to fill holes in the internal. And for Trace, that was alcohol. For me, that's been binge drinking. Um, I'd love that you say it's been. 
because uh, uh, it's been uh, noted that I'm, I'm four years. Congratulations. Four years sober. Uh, I, I don't exactly have a... Have you been drug tested lately? Like, we valid, We know it's actually been four years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, well, I've been drug tested for alcohol, but believe me, when you see what life was like before and where it's at now, you can tell if I'm drinking or not. Okay. My, right. my whole life around me is a constant piss test as to whether I've been <laughs> drinking or not. But here's the thing that I, I want to say, I kind of got onto this on the show, but... Look, it's been wonderful for me. When I quit drinking, everything in my life opened up in new ways. Now, I think that, that that's a powerful story to, stare, a story to share because, like you said in the, in the episode, that alcohol is this, this tuna net that we all have to swim through in life. You're not going to walk through this life and not have, have had the opportunity to drink put right in front of you. Now, how do we all handle it? What, what, what comes from that is is a different story. Well, so you, you struggled off and on your, your entire life with alcohol, starting at, when did you start drinking? Oh, about 15. About 15. And so you just, I don't think we all understand exactly what an alcoholic is. So at 15. It's you, hard in this day and age to tell the difference, to be well, quite the, honest, because right, so well, many people drink, you don't necessarily know. It's, it's, it's easy to slide into being uh, an alcoholic. It's like a, a serial killer sliding into a war situation. Ooh, I mean, yeah, it is pretty easy ideal. to get away with being an alcoholic in this world with everybody drinking. Okay. So you're, <laughs> you're, you're 15 and, and you start drinking. Is, is the draw immediately there? Do you know you got a problem out the gate? The very first time I drank it, I, that night, we spent the rest of the time trying to get more. From the very first time when I you took were, a drink of alcohol. When you were 15? Yes. Okay. When I was 15 years old, I did not want to stop the very first time I, I had started drinking it. So your relationship with alcohol has always been you could not quench it. You always needed more mm -hmm. until the lights went out and then you woke up the next day and then the chase began again or... Because you functioned as an alcoholic. It never kept you from working. It took you to some hairy places, but it never kept you from working. Well, as I'm saying, it, it fits in easily with society, especially as a teenager. I mean, you could be a raging alcoholic in Woodward, Oklahoma, and fit in a lot better than someone who doesn't drink at all. Yeah. And anybody from my, my, a small town anywhere could probably tell you that. It's the kind of place where you got to be bad to have a good time. There's, there's not any 16-year-olds that are running around boring environments like that yeah. and not looking for stimulus in some other way. The chess and that's club is not overflowing on Friday night. Yeah, yeah. That's not exactly what the stimulus that a teenager is looking for in those things. And I don't even want to blame it on teenage angst, but that is something that leads us all to these questionable choices that we, that we end up with. And then how do those choices grab you into life? Alcohol was one that, that grabbed hold of me hard. And, and it, it was, it was a, while, a while before I could even see the hold and then decide I needed to do something about it and then have the strength to do something about it and then go through the struggle for it to actually happen. And on that episode I mentioned, I, I don't want to pin it all in with unhappiness in a career. Because as we've just said here, whenever I started drinking, I knew from the, I didn't know that that was a thing, but now I look back, not everybody has three drinks and says, oh my gosh, I got to keep doing this. Not everybody gets a taste and won't stop. Yeah, it all hits us differently. Most people, actually, if you ask them what their first drink alcohol they drank, and they say, I didn't like it, they had to force themselves to learn to. I used to mix Gatorade and beer. You imagine that? No. That Ga orange awful. Gatorade and Bush Light, and we would chug it. I hear orange Kool-Aid <laughs> goes good with Patron. <laughs> if you wanted to buzz when you were 16... Anything would go good with anything. Oh, man. One time I was trying to figure out how to sneak some out, and I got in my Lanta bottle, thought I'd emptied it out enough, filled that up with tequila, Ooh. <laughs> and stuck out a, a mostly full of my Lanta bottle. Uh, but you were also... You it was were one of the most disgusting things I ever drank, but best believe every bit of that tequila got drank. <laughs> And your stomach was already prepared. Yeah. Oh, you didn't have problems. It, it, was, it was an like elixir a, and a party in the same time. It could have been a genius cocktail. Maybe I was on to something. My first drinking journey, a buddy, this is an eighth grade, and a buddy of mine's dad was collecting sherry. But he wasn't collecting it like an aficionado. He was collecting it like it was in a box in the back of his garage. 
And so we decided that we would drink this sherry, which if, you, if you've been down Sherry's Road, like, it mm. tastes like Robitussin. Yeah, right? it's, it's, real. it's really thick and oh, it's and tough. It's got a bite that stings, Captain. Yeah. So, so we get, we're drunk riding our bikes through this neighborhood, and we don't really know what drunk is. It's just, this is fun now. This is fun. And so we had this little stash of sherry that, that Pops never even noticed. So anytime we got, you know, anytime we had that froggy feeling, we would pedal our bike over and grab some sherry, slam it in the back of the garage and drive off down the road. So anyway, if you're leaving alcohol laying around and thinking nothing's happening with it, well, I don't know. You might, you might check your levels a couple well, times. Yeah, a lot of the times these kids, and I'll look back on mine, I, if, I wanted, if you always want to blame something else for your reason, like it sounds like in the episode I blamed my career for my alcoholism, even though it was already there. It's your uh, therapeutic delusion. But I'll give you some more. I, I, I learned it from watching you, Dad. <laughs> you know, there's a whole lot of that that goes on. Every single role model that I looked around to whenever I was that age was an alcoholic male. Yeah. And uh, I, I ironically then became one. <laughs> well, it's also a, it's a courage thing. It, when you're a young male, to, to have the bravado to say, yeah, I'm not scared of alcohol. Watch me. I drink six. You want to drink seven? I'll drink eight. Yeah, it, what you're it, afraid of is, is saying a, no to it. Yeah, you're afraid it's an ego of thing. going into that situation sober. Yeah, it's where I, you know, to touch back on the fear episode a little bit. That was something else that drove me. I was afraid to go into social situations, and I believe a lot of us are. Well, that's okay. Here's this elixir that fixes every aspect in the moment, like right then. I'm yeah. not going to tell you that taking that drink doesn't take away some fear. And if you're like myself, especially after you've been drinking from the age of 15, you, you fast forward to me at 22, 25, 26, you've now developed pathways in your brain that that's the only way certain aspects of you can turn on. Yeah. And that honestly is a scary thing that can start happening with any drug. If any drug you take too much, it will start to have that effect. And then it, your brain doesn't work the same way anymore. And alcohol does that a bunch. Yeah, it really can start messing with us. We felt that we, we even us non-alcoholics, we felt that. I mean, you, you don't go out in college on a Thursday night and not drink. That would just be abnormal. Like you, you're going out there, and if you have up to this point, yeah. Well, I that was just my change. Journey. I, I feel hope like it, this I hope it changed. does. I hope it does. But that was my journey. My journey was if we were hanging out, alcohol was going to be involved, and it was going to be a lot of alcohol, and we were going to make sure we didn't run out of alcohol. That was, that was always a concern. So I didn't really know, not to blame anything other than my ignorance, I didn't know any other way to be social. That was the only way I knew to be social from at, at least junior high through college was to throw some alcohol on it. So I don't have the social inadequacies that you do there, or at least that I'm aware of, but that I developed them around alcohol because if I was going to be a robust, courageous male and to go talk to these strange females, I had to have some alcohol in me. Like, it, it just, it needed to be there. And so it was there. Well, not just some, because then, like I said, when you got, it is alcohol a is a dream, you got to have a bunch. <laughs> a little's good, more is better. And that was, that was the mentality that I, I laid down into with, with alcohol for, for a long time. I, I talk about 15 years. So obviously I drank closer to 25 years. 25 years. Okay. Right. Now, when I talk about the 15 years of the struggle, it was at about 10 years in, once I was about 25, 26 after my fourth DUI, that I did finally agree, yeah, I probably am an alcoholic. This is a problem. I, I think I might stop. Let me see what I can do about this. That was a 15-year process. Did you stop for yourself or did you stop for your family? My, my emphasis changed on, am I important to myself? And, and the way I feel, mm -hmm. is this all that I care about or is there something else? And when that awareness that I do care more about my wife, I care more about my child than I do my own feelings, that was whenever it became easy to make the choice not to. Yeah. There was almost a bit of a light switch. They, they talk about this somewhat in alcoholism. There's an epiphany. And, and, and I, I don't know how else to describe it, but somehow that Sunday after OU Texas in 2019, as I'm on a phone with my wife and child, and they're trying to get me out of the drunken melee that I have put together for myself over the last 36 hours, 
it's something just clicked. Like, I, how in the heck can I keep doing this to them in good conscience? There is no way that I would even want to grab another drink to do this to them. So you didn't have a moment of awareness until you did. I guess. I guess so. So back, back to hold a hold. I, I think the, the essence of that episode is to try to raise an awareness around, around the holes that, that we're trying to fill with items that could be filled with love and often can be filled by giving of your love to someone else. And, and that was the spirit of that conversation. We talked about alcohol. Uh, we talked about success in our careers and that attempt to, to finally find a place where I can succeed and be a family guy at once. And, and that's a real delicate rope to walk. So anything else on Hold the Hole? Well, let's move on to change. So our latest episode is change. And we, we frame change in the idea of the serenity prayer and then a couple diaper analogies as well. And the idea with change was we resist it for a long time. And it gets messy. It has a little bit to do with the, the, the flavor of fear. Like, how are you handling your fear? How are you handling your change? Are you, are you taking the reins of it? Are you being a victim of the change you need? Or are yeah. you orchestrating it? And that was where I, I, I started to allude on that episode that, you know, after all the change I've been through and how much it's done great things for me, the, the, the changes we hit on, I think, are the, the job transitions. And we make real quick light over it of, of hey, you know, I got fired. You know, it was tough. I moved on, got another one. I didn't like that one either, left yeah. that one. <laughs> but that's easier to look back as you've gone through it. But in the middle of needing those changes, those, those are hard spots to be. Yeah. We sit in those for a long time. Like everybody in this room right now has got some change they're avoiding. We, we always carry that around with us. And instead of embracing the change, which is real easy to say, like, oh, you need to go through some change. We'll just embrace the change. That's not how it traditionally works with humans. We got to sit in it until it gets so bad or some other outside stimulus comes along and breaks us off of that change. What's, what you and I noted in that episode is it's always amazing how you fight the change and then until you get the change. And then the change is refreshing. Yeah, that was the analogy with, uh, with the getting, getting your pants changed on the changing table. And I've been rolling around with that idea of accepting change ever since my, I had my baby. Ever since I've had to change the pants. Why won't you just sit still and let this change that yeah. every single person knows around you needs to happen except you. And you're laying on the table, kicking your legs to fight against it. And I, I just would love for everyone to wake up and see where they're kicking their legs, where they're getting crap all over the people around them <laughs> when they're the ones that need to change their pants. It's not those that are helping. Yeah, we, we've all, when I left the corporate world, I was, I was sitting in that for, man, about a year and a half. Could not make the move. Miserable. Knew I was miserable. It was the epitome of laying around, needing a change, but resisting kicking my legs until I finally had somebody move me through that and I got my change and the refreshment is incredible. It's like, I can't believe I kicked and I fought for how long? And now I feel great. And all I had to do was just embrace the change that I needed. And I think sometimes when we fight change, we, we have shame, we have guilt. We don't want to accept that fate is calling us elsewhere. And it's away from where we are now. And we're so physically bonded to that. We just can't imagine being something else or dealing with any scenario in a different way that we'll sit there in misery for entirely too long until we get on the other side of the change and it's a breath of fresh air. And it's everything you needed, but it's also everything you fought because you were too bonded to your current state. So after you've been through it once and you learn that lesson, from here on out, right, you just start jumping on changing tables and throwing your legs in the air then, right? Not exactly. I mean, no, I'll, you don't. I you will still throw my legs don't learn. Like, that's what surprised. That's what the point with that is. How many times do we have to go through it before we start doing that? Hmm. It, I, I'm still not there. I, just, I don't know if anybody ever does get to that point of truly embracing the change. I, I, I wanted to say I did. I wanted to say I'm standing there on the banks with my surfboard waiting every time a wave of change comes at me. But it, it, inevitably, we don't because you don't even realize entirely what they are until you've been hit with a few of the waves. No, you don't but you realize you, what it is until you've smelled it a couple of times. You, you recognize the, the discomfort 
And, and that's where we, we allow ourselves to stay in discomfortable places with relationships, with investments, with jobs, with our children. We'll just sit in misery for longer than we should to resist the change that is trying to help us, trying to move us to a different state, to a better state, to the state that the universe or God wants us to be in. It's on the other side of the pain you're avoiding. Uh, but on the other side of the pain you're avoiding is also fresh change. And that was that was the nature of that of that episode. Yeah, and I, I get through these episodes. I listen to them again over and over while we're editing, and have a thousand things I want to say. I honestly want to just step onto this mic and throw every bit of my truth out into it <laughs> all at once. But it's it's tough. You end up walking away wishing you had something else you had to say. I thought maybe after we got done with tonight, I was going to step away and feel like I'd said everything in the world I wanted on these two aspects. Road to sobriety, fear, embracing change. But there'll be more to come. And yep. there will be more to come from the audience, from, from our friends, from our family, from all the people that I feel are waking up to bring better creation into this world. Because we are all co-creating our environment. We are all co-creating our realities if we bump into each other. And in the end, my challenge is let's just create a better place for everyone and whatever that looks like for you go turn that up all the way that's a hard thing to even follow up on uh change comes with this show it comes within this show We're, we'll be moving to guests soon which is a whole nother dimension uh, a whole nother challenge for us so uh this has been an exciting journey for us we're very pleased that you guys all came out on a friday night and sat here and listened to us and hopefully Maybe learn something, maybe laugh, maybe just say, what was I doing thinking about missing out on Netflix for three hours? But, but Definitely. Definitely you think of a way that we can improve and move forward with this, and that's, uh, that's the next step. Yeah, and we'll have more philosophical conversations like this as we move forward. We would like to thank you for listening to the Feral Minds podcast. Hopefully we triggered some curiosity that will have you seeking more. Remember, your mind is meant to run. Slap some sneakers on that bad boy and take it around the block. If you'd like to connect with us or enlist our feral thoughts on a problem in your life, visit us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or at theferalminds.com. Also remember, our thought line is always available. 24-7, we don't even allow it to sleep. And we want to hear from you. That number is 866-340-3394. Again, that number is 866-340-3394. We look forward to hearing from you.